Welcome to Her Story, Ireland's Epic Women, a podcast dedicated to the women that shaped our history. This podcast is brought to you by Underground Films, Epic the Irish Emigration Museum, herstory.ie and RTE, ahead of our TV series, Her Story, Ireland's Epic Women, on RTE in spring 2020. This podcast is hosted by Dr. Angela Byrne, with additional storytelling from Tall Tales Podcasts. Content for this episode comes from Dr. Angela Byrne. Elizabeth Gurley Flynn started her activist life as a 16-year-old schoolgirl, calling on American workers to rise in front of a red flag on a makeshift stage on a New York street corner. She quickly became a jawsmith or orator for the industrial workers of the world. She was devoted to women, the working class, anti-racism and anti-capitalism. Gurley Flynn was dedicated to women's rights, but saw feminism as bourgeois. She was a key figure in the generation of activists who saw class-based organisation as key to the emancipation of women. She believed that women could never be free under capitalism, that only socialism could eradicate poverty and women's economic dependence on men. She exemplifies what we would today call intersectional feminism, recognising that the universal category of woman did not acknowledge the additional struggles faced by African-American women, for example. Elizabeth wrote her autobiography Rebel Girl and it was published in 1973. In it, she writes fondly of her mother. My mother was always interested in public affairs. She early became an advocate of equal rights for women. She heard many lectures in Concord. Susan B. Anthony, Frances Willard, Frederick Douglass, Dr. Mary Walker, a pioneer medical woman, and Charles Stuart Parnell, the great Irish orator. She shocked her in-laws and neighbours by having women doctors in the 90s when her four children were born. This was a radical step at the time. Not long after, Dr. Elizabeth Blackwell had opened up her practice of medicine to women. I was named after our doctor in Concord, Dr. Elizabeth Kent. I remember her when she vaccinated me to go to kindergarten, a handsome woman dressed in a tailored suit, the first I had seen. In Manchester, Mama had also had a foreign doctor, an elderly French-Canadian woman who drove up in her own horse-drawn buggy. My mother admired women of intelligence who did worthwhile things in the world. She rebelled against the endless monotony of women's household tasks and after her marriage remained at work in the tailoring establishment as long as she could to get caretakers for her children. This too was unusual at the time. She was an excellent cook. She liked to bake pies, make preserves, raise plants, but she hated what she called drudgery. Washing, ironing, cleaning, dishwashing... She was happiest when she was sewing. She made over her green silk wedding dress into dresses for us to go to school. During her lifetime, she made dresses for her three daughters. In 1913, a Patterson newspaper accused me of wearing an expensive imported linen dress to a strikers meeting. Mama had made it for me at a cost of $3. Gurley Flynn's Irish parents were committed socialists and atheists who imbued their children with a hatred of capitalism and imperialism. Annie Gurley, her mother, encouraged all of her daughters to aspire to meaningful careers. 
She herself continued to work as a seamstress after her marriage, at times supporting the whole household by herself. While Elizabeth Gurley Flynn married at 19 and had a son, this never defined her, and she was determined to be financially self-sufficient, except during her 10-year relationship with the physician Dr Marie Aiki, when she rarely left their Portland home. As a single parent, with the support of her mother and sister, Elizabeth Gurley Flynn maintained her political commitments and a gruelling schedule of US-wide public talks. When she started her career with the Industrial Workers of the World, or the Wobblies as they were known, workplace disputes commonly involved violence, long drawn-out strikes and lockouts. But Elizabeth was a brilliant strategist who pioneered new tactics, such as getting workers to sit idle at their machines, which eliminated scab labour and prevented lockouts. Elizabeth admired Mother Jones and recalls an amusing moment when she heard Jones speak. The greatest woman agitator of our time was Mother Jones. Arrested, deported, held in custody, hunted and threatened by police and gunmen. She carried on fearlessly for 60 years. I first saw her in the summer of 1908, speaking at a Bronx open air meeting. She was giving the city folks hell. Why weren't we helping the miners of the West? Why weren't we backing up the Mexican people against Diaz? We were white livered rabbits who never put our feet on mother earth, she said. The description of the bullpen where the miners were herded by federal troops during a Western miners' strike and of the bloodshed and suffering was so vivid. Being slightly dizzy from standing so long, I fainted. She stopped in the middle of a fiery appeal. Get the poor child some water, she said, and went on with her speech. By 1910, she was the leading woman in the Wobblies. She also began to publicly advocate for women's access to birth control when it was still illegal to advertise these products in the press. Elizabeth continued to be arrested when she spoke publicly in defence of labourers. She writes of a time in Philadelphia in 1911. A critical situation had arisen amongst the workers in the plant of the Baldwin Locomotive Works, occupying a large area in the centre of the city. It has long since moved to Chester, Pennsylvania. 1,200 employees, among whom were some IWW members, have been suddenly laid off by the company without reason. They were gathered round the plant in protest. It was our plan to try and organise them all into the IWW and fight for reinstatement. So we held a street meeting at the corner of 15th and Buttonwood Street. The first few speakers were not molested, but when I spoke, I was arrested. The cops said officials of the company had telephoned a complaint. I was taken by car downtown and lodged in the jail in City Hall under the statue of William Penn. The police magistrate before whom I appealed was a squat politician who growled at me. These people don't want you here, meaning the bosses, of course. The workers had hooted and booed the cops for arresting me and demonstrated that they did want to hear me. He sneered at our efforts to organise the men and called it a money-making scheme. He was the first to call me an outside agitator, a name I heard often in the next few years. I was fined $10 for disturbing the peace. The next week, after passing the word quietly around the plant, we returned to the widest streets bordering it. 
Broad and Spring Garden, where we attempted to hold another meeting. Again, no one else was arrested until I spoke. I was ordered to stop and move on, and when I refused, I was arrested. The police said they had orders from higher up, though they acted reluctantly in face of the angry workers. Again, the charge was obstructing the highway and breach of the peace. I was taken before the same irate Irish judge, and again, he fined me $10. In 1936, after a 10-year hiatus in Portland, living with her partner, Marie Ecke, Gurley Flynn returned to New York and joined the Communist Party, rising rapidly through its ranks. During the Cold War, communists were harassed and imprisoned as un-American. Gurley Flynn was one of over a hundred communists imprisoned for their views in the 1950s. She spent 28 months in the maximum security wing of Alderson Female Penitentiary in West Virginia in 1955-57. She had been in a similar position in 1917 when she and other members of the International Workers of the World were charged with seditious conspiracy and this was a charge next to treason in US law. American anti-communism only made Gurley Flynn more resolute in her commitment to freedom of speech and political association. She supported deportees who, under the 1918 Immigration Act, were summarily expelled as alien anarchists, without warning and without their families. World War II gave American communists a brief reprieve, thanks to the alliance between the US and the Soviet Union. Gurley Flynn used this time to build a national platform and a wide support base and to pursue feminist goals. Her aims as director of the Women's Commission of the Communist Party included representation of women at all levels within the party against what she called all concepts of male superiority. Her goals also included the full enfranchisement of African Americans and poorer women. Fascism, as she saw it, placed women in a subordinate position, so she framed gender equality as anti-fascist against the backdrop of millions of women known as Rosie the Riveters filling the vacant jobs in the factories during the war. By 1943, 50% of the American Communist Party membership was female. In 1961, Gurley Flynn became the first woman elected head of the American Communist Party. She died on her second visit to Moscow in 1964. Lauded as a heroine in the Soviet Union, she was given a full state funeral and Nina Khrushcheva was one of her pallbearers. Half of her ashes were buried by the Kremlin walls in Moscow and the other half were conveyed to Chicago. Perhaps too willing to believe that the ideals to which she had committed her life had been realised in the USSR, she never questioned Soviet propaganda about the quality of women's lives under communism. This show was brought to you by Underground Films, Epic the Irish Emigration Museum, HerStory.ie and RTE. Mixed and produced by Cassia Tall Tales Podcasts and presented by Dr. Angela Byrne. 
If you like this story, subscribe for more on iTunes and Spotify and check out our TV series, Her Story, Ireland's Epic Women on RTE in Spring 2020. Her Story's score composed by Scott Marr and Oshin Murray.